Okay, so we're still on the issue of discipleship. And I'm going to just run real quickly through the slides that we looked at last week. And he makes the statement, and it's obviously true, that Christianity is discipleship. Uh, and I'll take you to a passage in Acts tonight. We worked through this when we walked through Acts out on Sunday morning. Uh, but, you know, a disciple involves a master and a student or a teacher and a student. And so it's just painfully obvious that if anyone is a Christian, they are a disciple because Jesus is Lord. In fact, I'll show you a passage tonight where we confess that with our mouth for salvation. So if he's Lord and master, that makes us students or followers. And so that's where you get the word disciple, right? And that's why we... Christianity, that's why he makes it say Christianity equals discipleship. There is no alternative form of being a Christian. You either follow Christ and you're a Christian or you don't follow Christ and you're not a Christian. And so he makes that argument. We started walking through the two ways that we get things in the ditch. Uh, and we're eventually going to get to the second error that concerns us the most. I think, Lord willing, we'll get there next week is when our expectations are a little bit too high of somebody that's converted to the faith that we begin to kind of push expectations on them and that's where we need to be careful. I don't think we commit the first error that he spends the most time talking about and that's the workless or the faithless faith uh, that we usually refer to around here as easy believism where it's just something you say with your mouth but your life has no reflection of that confession whatsoever. I think that's where most people are uh, by far and away, uh, especially people you talk to at work and so on and so forth, because you'll rarely meet anybody that'll say, no, I'm not a Christian. I think I've told you I've got one person in my life that tells me that. Uh, and I always tell them I appreciate that because I just it's really hard to find. But she flat tells you, I've never trusted in the Lord. I've never made the turn or the change, she'll say. And I'll go, all right. She's closer than most. She's closer than most. She's not confused. Uh, and have witnessed her multiple times over the years and love her to death. But I really appreciate the fact that she knows. She doesn't follow Jesus. All right, this, we talked a great deal about this passage last week, Matthew 28, where we're called to make disciples of all nations. And that involves the profession of faith, but it also involves teaching them all things. Uh, you, you can't be a follower of Christ unless you know the word of the Lord. And so that's why we spend so much time in God's word. Now, he brings us to the idea in discipleship of relationships. The first relationship is to the word of God. And this is where we talked about the parable of the four souls and the seed that was sown last week. We talked about that there was one that was obviously converted because that was the one who heard the word of God, held it fast, and brought forth fruit in their life. Now, that's my expectation on my life. That's my expectation on everyone's life that's a part of Corinth Church that we're bearing fruit because fruit is evidence that you've been converted. It's not so much what you say with your mouth as far as your profession goes, you don't have to say it. We can look at your life. And that's where we have our confidence because we see the impact of the grace of God on our lives. So as far as being a disciple, the first thing you have to consider is what is my relationship to the Word of God? Do we hear it 
Do we receive it? Do we repent? Because I always find it contrary to how I think. Do we repent and let the Word of God shape how we think? So that's our first relationship. Second relationship is to our commitment to Christ. Some of you have your Bibles turned to Luke 9. Somebody else turned to Luke 14. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn along, but you're going to be very familiar with these passages. It's stuff that we've looked at a number of times. All right, Cody, will you read Luke 9, 23 down through 26? And he was saying to them all, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what good does it do a, man, a person if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. All right, so let me ask you some questions. In verse 23, who is he talking to? It's the first phrase. All. All. Everyone. He's not talking to his already followers that are walking around. He's simply making a statement to everyone that's listening. Okay? And the context of the conversation comes to us in 24. What is he talking about? He repeats the word, let's see, one, twice. Salvation. Salvation. We're talking about salvation. We're not talking about an extra level of commitment to Christ. Saving life, forfeiting life. I know what we're talking about. We're talking about salvation. And he makes this statement to all, right? And so in 9.23, he says, if anyone comes after me, right, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me in the context of salvation. So if you're going to follow Christ, you have to listen to Christ, and you have to obey Christ. That's what it means, right? I don't know how in the world we run past those things and don't pay attention. That's why we're called to make disciples, because those are the people who follow Christ. Now, again, this is our relationship to the Lord in regard to commitment. And I always, I did it Sunday, and I'll probably do it again next Sunday, relate it to a marriage. You'd be a fool to marry, to marry someone that you're absolutely convinced they're not committed to you. I realize people do that sometimes, but we don't know why anybody would ever do that. You wouldn't marry anyone unless you knew you had 110% commitment, right? And that's why we stand up before God and the pastor and everybody. We make that 110% commitment to this other individual. And that helps us understand the gospel, right? When we're coming to the Lord, we're making a commitment to the Lord. Here's my life, right? I'm yours. Meaning, Lord, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I understand in this relationship, you're going to tell me what to do and I'm going to follow because you're the master, I'm the student. You're the Lord, I'm the follower. I'm the disciple. You're the disciple maker. Okay? And so, this is true discipleship. This is Christianity. And this is very difficult to do 
we'd all say amen to this. But I can look at all of your lives and the testimony and the change that the grace of God has made over the years, and I got, I got a house full of followers. I'm very fortunate, and I, I'm not just being positive. Y'all know I'm never positive. I'm being literal. I got a house full of followers because I see the difference that the Lord has made in y'all's life. And that's what happens when you follow Jesus because he's different than y'all. Okay? Y'all don't want to be around me when I'm not following Jesus, and I don't really want to be around y'all when you're not following Jesus. Right? Luke 14 is another example. It's a little bit longer of a section, 25 through 33. Travis, you want to read it back there? Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. But which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to account, encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms for peace. So therefore, any of you, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Verse 25, who are we talking to? Great crowds. Great crowds, right? Now verse 26, what's he saying? Somebody shorten that up very easily for me. You gotta love me more than anyone else. That's it. I'm first. That'll make you spend some time meditating, especially Nathan. You're about to get married. You gotta love the Lord first. As much as you love Abby, you gotta come back to the reality. I have to love the. I have to follow the Lord first and foremost. Now let's think about your children. That's a little deeper. The Lord says, "I'm first. See, we're talking about the issue of commitment. And disciples are 110% committed to the Lord, first and foremost. And the idea about giving up all your possessions, right? What is he saying? Somebody shorten that up for me. i got to be more important than your possessions. I'm more important. And if I call you somewhere, you're going to go. That's, that's the issue of Tyler and Wallace and the IMB. You know, they don't, they don't have anything anymore. They let go of everything. And so, you know, we're praying now, if this takes a turn to the left and they can't stay on the field, they don't have anything. It's all gone. No furniture, no clothes, no car, no house, nothing. Right? So that call came to them and they were faithful because they follow Christ. It didn't come to all of us, obviously. But, you know, you have to sort that out when you get that call. It, I, this is all going away because it, it's necessary for me to follow Christ in this season in my life. So in other words, we see the radical commitment that it takes. And this is something that's not... He goes through there, you know, how many is going to sit down and count the cost? 
That's really why I like sharing the gospel with adults. And I'm always very careful with children's because as an adult, I can tell you to follow Christ, you need to count the cost. Everybody's in such a rush to get a profession of faith, a lifted hand or whatever, such a rush. But I want them to understand you need to count the cost. And that's very difficult to do from a Western perspective because it does not cost you anything to follow Jesus. Literally. But that's not the case. Probably the majority of the rest of the world, it will cost you something. You know, where Tyler and Wallace are, it's going to cost you something because 99% of the people worship Buddha. Well, if you follow Jesus, your family is going to put you out. Your community is going to put you out. It's going to cost you something. Unfortunately, it, it costs us nothing. You can follow Jesus, go to work, tell everybody at work, I love Jesus, I got saved Sunday. They're going to look at you funny and then just go right back to business as normal, you know? Um, these are issues that you and I are going to wrestle with more and more, I think, as culture changes. And these are issues that I think your children are really going to wrestle with more and more as culture changes because it's going to begin to cost us some things. And it needs to cost us some things, okay? So... Disciples' relationship to the Lord and disciples' relationship to commitment. Uh, this is just a quote from the book. If one should come to Christ in the salvific sense, certain indications of commitment must be present. If there is no seed of commitment planted in the heart of a claimer, that person, as affirmed by Christ himself, cannot be my disciple. Okay? Commitment. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. I don't know why he didn't start here. If I was taking his notes and rewriting it, I would have started here. And again, when we walked through Acts, we talked about these things at length. Verse 26. Somebody read that for me. Jeremy. And when he had found him, uh, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That last phrase, what two words are synonymous with each other? What two words mean the same thing? Disciples and Christians. And what did he do with them in the phrase right before that? Taught. He taught. Imagine that. Right, Miss Burma? <laughs> Imagine that. Paul was constantly teaching the church. And they were referred to as disciples because they followed Christ. And he calls them Christians. Man, we've lost that definition. That is out the window. We call everybody Christians these days. It's insane. Okay? But it is a pretty limited group of people in the text. It's people who follow Christ. They are known as disciples. Uh, all of this means, again, this is a quote from Zimic, all of this means that some degree of initial commitment must be present in the heart along with a confession of the lips if initial salvation has truly occurred. If it has occurred, the fruits of faith will eventually manifest themselves in various degrees. That's what a disciple is. 
All right, let's look at some difficult passages. Uh, go with me to John chapter 8. Again, we worked through this when we went through the Gospel of John. Actually, this is a first book. Is this the first book we walked through? No, it's 1 Corinthians. Then it was John's Gospel. We, uh, we spent a whole bunch of time in John. Now, I'll tell you, as far as from somebody that studies the grammar, this one frustrates me uh, because of the words that John picks. But anyway, go to John 8, verse 30. And I'll read as we walk through here. As he spoke these things, and we're not going to go back up. He was just speaking with them about things of the kingdom. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. See that phrase, believe in him? Jeremy, that's the aorist tense. It's one time single effective action. Okay? Verse 31, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, perfect tense, Cody, they stand in the state of having believed in him. Okay? He says to them, If you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They, we're still talking about the same people, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son does. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Now, we never stop talking to the believers. You can study that in English. You can study that in Greek. You can study that any way you want. But they professed faith in Christ, yet the Lord tells them, My word has no place in you. Now, when you get down to verse 59, I'm not going to read the whole conversation. I encourage you to go back and read John 8 on your own. But look at verse 59. Therefore they, you know, the pronoun never changes through the whole text. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It's the same group of people. Okay, Like I said, it's frustrating from somebody that studies the grammar because you're waiting for a break in the action to where, okay, now we're, we're obviously talking to a different group of people, not those who profess faith in Christ, but it never changes. In other words, they profess faith in Him and Jesus presses them into His Word and they refuse to accept His Word and He literally says, My Word has no place in you. So that's why he starts with, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. John does this several times in his gospel. And again, it's really frustrating, but it's individuals who have spurious faith or false faith. They jump through the hoops, but they refuse to follow. John 6, I, I think I gave that example last week when he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me, and they all left. They were like, I'm out. Okay, he just carried them further and further into the Word of God. Right? 
Uh, interesting article came out today, I think it was today in Christianity Today by J.D. Greer about homosexuality and preaching that. And there is a lot of pastors that have fallen silent about homosexuality because it's become such a hotbed issue in the church. They don't want to run off church members and believers. And believers. Professing believers. They don't want to, they don't want to strike where it's going to hurt and offend them because if they offend them, they'll leave. I can't find that in the text. Jesus was terrible at offending people. I mean, he did it all the time. Not in a mean way. He just challenged them with the word of God, and they're like, ah, no, 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 no. I can't do that. Whereas we would coddle them and call them believers, at the end of the day, they're refusing to hear the word of God and believe. And if you refuse to hear the word of God and hold fast the word of God, we don't bear fruit, and we wind up finding ourselves to be spurious in our faith or faults in our faith. That's the only way for me to test your faith because, you know, I, I just can't carry you around day in and day out and put you in situations that's going to test your faith. But I can preach the word to you Sunday in, Sunday out, Wednesday night, you know, on and on and on. I can do that and challenge the way that you think. And if you respond by hearing and going, I was wrong. I was totally wrong about that. You know, I can tell from the text, abortion, no, that, no, there is no way. And we can walk through a number of those things. And as you're challenged with those things, some things are going to take you a while. But as followers of Christ, you're eventually going to swallow that lump in your throat, let go of your pride, and accept the Word of God. Other things will come very easily for you. But you have to constantly be challenged with the Word of God. Constantly. And that reshapes how you think. And if I change the way you think, I change the way you act. I don't want to change the way you act until I've changed the way you think because then you'll just be like a bird dog. I don't want, I don't want you to be like a bird dog. If I change the way you think, you're, the way you act will change. And the only way I can do that is by teaching the Word of God. Right? So if you ever come to the place, I don't know if I believe that. And I, you'd be surprised. I mean, people tell me that. I don't know if I believe that. Wow, you got some work to do. You've got some time to spend on your knees in prayer and really see who you're following. Because, you see, when you say that, you're right back in the garden with an apple in your hand. You know what he said, and you'll either respond with, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. And you'll eat the apple, or you'll go, I believe what he said. I don't want, I don't want that. It's really as simple as that as we walk through the Word of God. Let me show you this passage, though. This does make it a little bit easier for us. Um, this one thing. Go back and look at verse 31. Well, the whole verse is up here. I'm sorry. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, perfect tense, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Now, you've got to understand this phrase, and there's three points about this phrase that I do want you to understand. The first thing is, the verb tense of are, and I've got are right here, is a present tense, not a future tense, and that's how, and watch how that changes this. He is not saying, if you will do this, then you will be this. But rather, if you are doing this, 
then you are this. In other words, keeping the word is not a prerequisite for becoming a disciple. He's not saying, Chris, if you keep my word, I'll make you a disciple. Don't get this backwards. That's works. He's not saying, Tyler, if you keep my word, I will make you a disciple. No. He's saying, Tyler, I see you're keeping my word. That means you are a disciple. You see the difference in that? He's not establishing some work for you to do. You don't pick up your Bible and go, I got to keep this, I got to keep this, so I will be a disciple. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, I see that my word is important to you and you hold my word. What that means is, and it's a promise, you are. You are exactly what you say you are. You are a disciple. Okay? So don't flip that around. You flip that around, you're Catholic. Not Catholics, okay? We're evangelical Christians. You are converted, and one of the ways that we know that is because you value the Word of God, and you hear it and you believe it, okay? I said there was three things about this. Here's the second one. Notice this word. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, if you continue in my Word, then you are truly disciples of mine. To avoid any misunderstanding as to what Jesus was talking about, the Lord carefully qualified His words, You are my disciples with the word alethos, which means truly, really, or actually. In other words, those who hold fast to the word are obviously genuine disciples. Just from the word alethos. You really are. And back to what I said to Tyler. Since Tyler holds fast to the Word of God, he, he's the real stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. He, he's real. He's legitimate. He's true. Okay? And again, I could say that about everyone in this room. But the Lord's being very careful with John 8, 31 because He's got a group of people who are professing to follow Him and He challenges them with the Word of God. One more thing. The word uh, if, if is known as a third class conditional clause. Uh, you probably don't remember that if you ever knew that. It says nothing about whether or not the condition is fulfilled, but it explains what would be the case if it were realized. In other words, just by the word choice, he's not making a conditional statement. I take you back to what I said first. It's not saying, Nathan, if you will keep the word, then you will be a disciple. Not doing that because of, the, because of the if. He's saying, if this is done, whether or not it is, we don't know. But if the word is held to, there is something certain about that individual. They are converted. They are a child of God. So the grammar does help. I wish John hadn't used that word. It would have been so much easier if he'd have made up a Greek word. There's a group of people standing around who weren't really believers, and Jesus said to this to them. That would be so helpful for us. Uh, but he uses it in the most emphatic way. These people had committed themselves to following Jesus, and Jesus said, right, all right, let's have a little conversation. Let's talk about my word. And they're like, ah, no, I don't want any part of your word. Well, listen, you're not genuine. It's pretty simple. Okay? So again... 
John's Gospel is the book you want to study if you want to understand easy believism because John deals with it more than anybody else and he's very hard on them. And it's interesting because John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the emotional guy. He's the guy who lay his head on Jesus' breast. He was the guy who would probably make us uncomfortable because John would probably walk around holding Jesus' hand. And he was the guy who said these things. If you're really a disciple, you can get all emotional. You can weep. You can do all this fun stuff. It don't matter to me, but John would say, let me tell you a genuine sign of your conversion. What are you doing with the Word of God? That's what the emotional guy says. Okay. Uh, here's a quote from Robertson. I don't know who Robertson is, but anyway, I read him. It says, so then, so now. We accept, we accept church members on profession of trust or faith in Christ. Continuance in the word proves that sincerity or that insincerity of their profession. It is the acid test. Okay. Here. Before we go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Just going back looking at it. So in verse uh, 30, uh, believe is the, the verb. Yep. And so 31 is the preposition. Okay. So he would be describing the believe in verse 30. So the aorist in the 30, he's describing a 31 with the perfect. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, because it's going to have to fall back to the the closest verb. So yeah, that'd be in the part of the book. It's going to have to fall back to that that verse 30, the believe. Yeah, as I said, many times, because the way I'm looking at it, it says, and he said to these these things, many came to believe in him. Mm -hmm. So the ones, he's saying, hey, those that are going to believe in me mm -hmm. are those that are going to hold my way. Okay. Many came, but only those true ones are the ones. The that truly ones are, yeah. So Andy Stanley said recently in one of his sermons. Point that to <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Andy Stanley, the false teacher, said recently that you don't want to, I'm, I'm, I couldn't read it without getting nauseated, so I'm summing it up. You don't want to confront people in their sin or you'll run them off. Let's just introduce them to Jesus and we'll worry about that stuff later. Okay. So he's, he's leading the crowd of those who profess a false faith. He's the shepherd of those who have no faith is who he is and his church is full of false believers okay the confrontation in john 8 is really the measuring tool or one of the measuring tools romans 10 uh, this one is used all the time that if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved with the heart, one believes and is justified. In the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So we, you know, we use this as a, I don't know, uh, a verbal track, so to speak. I need you to do these two things. That's how we present this. I need you to do these two things. I need you to say something with your mouth, and I need you to really believe it in your heart. And if you say it with your mouth and really believe it in your heart, then you're saved. These are parallel statements. They're saying the same thing. These are not two statements. 
This is one statement. And it's communicating one thought in two different ways. Because we've already spent all that time talking about mouth and heart and all this stuff is one in the Bible. These are not two things in the Bible. There's not two sides of you. There's one side of you. Okay? And so this is called parallelism and it's communicating one thing that you confess and you believe. And if you're to do that genuinely, you're talking about the same thing. I confess because I do believe. I believe, therefore I confess. It's one thought. Now the interesting word in all this is this right here. Because if he's Lord, he's master. And if he's master and you're a follower, you follow him. So if you want to say mouth, that's fine. If you want to say heart, that's fine. It doesn't matter what reference you want to use. The idea is He is Lord over your life. He governs it. He guides it. He determines it by His Word. Okay? Zimmick says this, At initial salvation there must be present not only an understanding and acceptance of Christ as Savior, but also a recognition and acknowledgement of Christ as Lord over one's life. And we've spent our whole lives, I have, in Baptist churches going, I want you to say this with your mouth, and if you say it and really, 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 really believe it, you're saved. That's not what this passage is saying. My confession is, as far as my whole life, He's Lord. But I really shouldn't have to say that verbally. You ought to be able to see that. Right? Why should you see that? Because I believe it with all my heart. He's Lord. And it affects what I do and what I say. All right, we'll quit. Comments, questions?